Please turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 3. If you're using the Bible provided for you here in Fairfield, this should be on page 772. And today we study a fascinating account that has a message from God to you, to me, woven into the details. Uh, It's a message from God that is of true eternal importance for me, for you, and for the people that God has placed near us in this life. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, God has a message for me, for you in this story, and God's message is woven into the details. For instance, in the details of this story, God is urging me to see the everyday people in my life. The words that uh, Luke, the author of Acts, uses to describe Peter and John's visit to the temple is put in a grammatical tense that indicates that this was their everyday routine. The text mentions three o'clock in the afternoon, which is one of the regular times of prayer at the temple in Jerusalem. Peter and John had been following this 3 p.m. temple prayer routine for a long time, but then they had a life-changing experience called Pentecost. Pentecost is described one chapter earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is the day when Peter and John were filled with Jesus' Spirit in a way that made them new people with a new power to live like Jesus. So Acts chapter 2 is about how Christ followers are filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that makes them new people with new power. Then Acts chapter 3 is about what happens when new people with new power go through their same old routine. When new people go through their same old routine, the everyday people in their lives are seen and touched and healed with the saving power of Jesus. When I live like a new person, I really see the everyday people that I never saw before. 
This lame man described in Acts chapter 3 is one of those everyday people who was brought to the same place every day at the temple entrance. Uh, Before the filling of God's Spirit came into their lives, uh, Peter and John passed this everyday guy without much thought. But now... Peter and John are filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and that changes everything. Because when Jesus dwells in a person, there are no everyday people who go unseen or ignored. In verse 4, look at verse 4, the author stresses the point that Peter and John looked straight at the paralyzed man. They saw the man. And in this act, they were imitating Jesus. You hear this same word emphasized over and over in the Gospels referring to Jesus. That Jesus saw people and looked straight at them. Well, for instance, the Gospels say that Jesus looked straight at the lame man at Bethesda's pool. Jesus looked straight at the woman who was bleeding. Jesus looked straight at the rich young ruler. On different occasions, Jesus looked straight at Mary, at Nathaniel, at Peter, and even John. And the wording of how Jesus looked straight at people is the same wording used of how Peter and John looked straight at this paralyzed man. Jesus had a way of really seeing people and noticing those that others Ignored. Now that Peter and John are filled with the Spirit of Jesus, they find that suddenly they can really see the people that they ignored before. And Jesus wants to work this same transformation in me and in you. Do you see the everyday people in your life? Do you reach out? I mean, really reach out the way Peter and John did. Peter and John literally reached out with a helping hand. But, of course, they did a lot more than that. Uh, Peter and John introduced this man to the saving power of Jesus. And this is how the first church in history changed history. They did it by introducing their neighbors to Jesus. Who is a neighbor? Well, uh, the word neighbor literally means nearby. Uh, So a neighbor is not someone necessarily who lives next to me. It is anyone uh, I come into contact with as I go through my daily routine. Uh, Who is my neighbor? Uh, Jesus was asked this very question in Luke chapter 10. And he answered the question by telling the story of a man who was mugged and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And uh, a couple of people walked by pretending not to see the hurt man. But then a good Samaritan came along and he did not walk by. The Good Samaritan saw the man and reached out with a helping hand. And Jesus said, this is a neighbor helping a neighbor. He's being a neighbor to a neighbor. It is seeing the everyday people you come into contact with as you travel your ordinary routine. So your neighbors 
are the everyday people you see on your job, on your street, uh, in your school, in your kid's school, uh, in your favorite coffee shop, or in your extended family. And Jesus is calling you to do, in a big or a small way, uh, what Peter did in the temple. Jesus is calling you to stop walking by. Jesus is calling you to go through your same old routine as a new person who really sees people and really helps people on the road of life. This is how Peter and John and the first church in history changed history. Once upon a time, there was this church that brought their neighbors to Jesus. They brought thousands upon thousands of their neighbors to Jesus because Jesus told them to start with their neighbors. Jesus promised his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where he tells his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his followers to bring his name to the ends of the earth and to start that process by reaching their neighbors in Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus wants me to start. Jesus wants me to really see the everyday people in my life and then reach out to them with the saving power of Jesus, which leads to the second part of God's message in this story. In the details of the story, God is urging me to love my neighbors enough to give them Jesus. When we go back to this story, uh, Peter and John love the beggar enough to not give him what he wants, but give him what he needs. The paralyzed man wanted money. But Peter and John gave something infinitely better. They gave him Jesus. And there are direct parallels to our experience here in southwestern Connecticut. We live in a society that begs for material things and not spiritual things. Uh, We live in a society that asks for more and more material things because they believe that material things will heal the deepest wounds inside and satisfy their deepest longings. But this is a lie. If they could just open their eyes, they'd realize that these material things can never and will never give them the joy and the peace and the contentment that they're looking for. But our neighbors are just like the man at the beautiful gate who didn't ask for Jesus because he couldn't. He was focused on the material because he had no concept that there was anything better. In the same way, You'll be waiting forever if you're waiting for your neighbors to ask you for Jesus. Your neighbors won't ask for Jesus because they don't know that healing is even an option. So God urges me to love my neighbors enough 
to give them Jesus, not waiting for them to ask, but loving them enough to give them Jesus. Several weeks ago, I got an interesting email uh, from a woman who uh, lives on the West Coast. Uh, she wrote me saying that she had just hung up with her brother uh, who lived in Connecticut. And her brother sounded desperate and she was worried for his safety. And she, she got my email address off of our BlackRock Church website and she got the BlackRock website after she googled churches in Connecticut. Uh, apparently, uh, her rationale was that Connecticut uh, is such a small state uh, that I couldn't be very far away from her brother. Uh, and then uh, she wrote, uh, did I know where Westport was? Uh, because that's where her brother lived. Uh, well, I called her brother, and uh, when we got together, he told me how uh, he was a banker in Manhattan, and he had no right to feel the way he felt. And I said, well, how do you feel? And he said, empty. But I have no right to feel empty. I have a beautiful wife. I have beautiful kids. I have a job that pays for a beautiful house in one of the most beautiful communities in the world. Just like the paralyzed man lived at the foot of the beautiful gate, there are people all around us who live at the beautiful gate but they are broken and they're empty inside. And I mention this because many of us want to bring Jesus to our neighbors, but we struggle with an internal doubt. And it's a doubt that seals our lips and keeps us quiet. The internal struggle that keeps us silent is that we conclude that the people around us seem happy enough without Jesus. We see our neighbors drive their beautiful cars to their beautiful homes, and we conclude that they don't need Jesus. Because from a distance, they don't seem to have any needs at all. But this is an illusion. After living 35 years in this community, I can tell you with confidence that beneath the surface, our neighbors are empty and broken at the beautiful gate. So give them Jesus. Give them friendship. Give them love. But by all means, give them Jesus. Don't neglect to give the everyday people in your life Jesus. When I met this man from uh, Westport, he told me that he was empty. And he told me about all the ways that he had tried to fill this emptiness. Uh, he had tried to fill the emptiness with lots and lots of alcohol and parties and possessions and relationships and accomplishments and a few drugs along the way. But nothing worked. In fact, the emptiness seemed to grow deeper and deeper and darker and darker. And as I listened uh, for a while, I then uh, I did request, could I tell you my story? And so I told him my story with Jesus. 
I told him about how, like everyone else, my life started with a, um, a search for acceptance and approval and love in my life. And that search led me to the realization that I was separated from God. And that was the, the root cause. But that Jesus came to die on the cross to bridge that separation and offer me the gift of God's forgiveness and a relationship with Him. And when I received this gift, He filled all the empty places in my life. And then I, I experienced the love of God and how over time God has healed me and empowered me with a purpose and a joy through a relationship with Him. And we talked some more. And I told him about uh, how my story with Jesus began with a, with a simple childlike prayer. And I, I did ask him if he would allow me to lead him in uh, a prayer just like that. And he, he said, I do want this. And uh, I do want to pray. And the relationship that began that day in him is growing every day. And where he, is em- he was empty, he is filling up with more and more contentment and peace and purpose as he follows Jesus. And someday you're going to meet him uh, because he worships here at Black Rock. And if you were to ask this man uh, to name his highest passion in his life right now, he would say it is not the possessions or the accomplishments that left him empty. Without hesitation, he would say, my highest passion is for bringing my neighbors to Jesus, starting with my wife and my kids. And folks, that's just the way it is. When Jesus heals you through his saving power, you want other people in your life to experience this too. You can't hold it to yourself. You know, one of my jobs as a pastor is to help people know where they stand with God so that they neither have a false sense of security nor a false sense of insecurity. With that in mind, let me just remind you that there are Based on what we read in Scripture, there are several signs that accompany a person who has really become a child of God and has been filled with His Spirit. And one of those signs that tells you that you are a true Christ follower is that you have a deep desire to bring your neighbors to Jesus. You have a burning passion to be part of the process that brings people into a relationship with God that extends to eternity. Now listen, if you do not have this passion, if you can ignore your neighbors spiritually. If you can look at your neighbors and you do not care whether they know Jesus or not, then based on God's Word, I can tell you that you are not yet a child of God. And you have not yet been filled with His Spirit. Because remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When you receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. The sign that you have been filled with, the, with God's Spirit is that you have a burning passion to be a witness that helps bring your neighbors to Jesus. 
And this bright, shining passion is what motivates our Lighthouse Project. The Lighthouse Project comes from a heart that pounds inside every true believer. The heart that wants to do whatever it takes to bring our neighbors to Jesus and make more room for people like my new friend from Westport and his family. Which leads to now the last part of God's message in this story. In the details of this story, God is urging me to act like bringing my neighbors to Jesus is my God-given purpose. I mentioned that a desire to bring people to Jesus is a reliable sign that I am God's child and I have been filled with His Spirit. Now, while this is true, this desire is an indication, while that's true, it is important to understand that God does not fill me with His Spirit just to give me a passion. No, God fills me with His Spirit to empower me to act on that passion, to bring my neighbors to Jesus. So, let's go back to the paralyzed man and the part of the story that we have not yet read. After healing this man, a crowd gathered around Peter. And so Peter began to tell all his neighbors about Jesus, which did not please the religious authorities who hauled Peter in for an interrogation and some intimidation. And now we read in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, these words. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Skip down to verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Do you hear Peter's determination to act? Peter had more than just a burning passion to bring his neighbors to Jesus. Peter also had the determination to act like bringing his neighbors to Jesus, was his God-given purpose in life. If I am a Christ follower, then it is my God-given purpose to be a witness and to act like one. God fills me with His Spirit so that I can see. I can really see 
the everyday people in my life. And then I love these people enough to give them Jesus. And then I act. I act by engaging my neighbors in conversations that can lead to Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about theology here. I'm saying that when your coworker uh, says to you, what are you doing this weekend? Don't say, ah, nothing, I'm not doing anything. Say, ah, well, I'm going to church. Uh, just this past week, I heard of a woman who answered saying, I'm going to church. And you know what her coworker said? The coworker said, great, can I come too? This happens, people, if you just take the opportunity. Just take the opportunity as it comes. I act by sharing my story of walking with Jesus. Peter is determined to share what he has seen and heard. What is that? That's his story with Jesus. And this is what I did with my Westport friend. I just told him how I came to understand that I was separated from God. And then I told him how Jesus made all the difference in my life. You need to know your story. And you need to have your story with Jesus ready. And then you need to act. You need to tell it. Also, I act by praying for my neighbors to find Jesus. If you ask me uh, why I was able to lead my Westport friend to Jesus that day, I will tell you that it was not me. In my opinion, the reason was that this guy had a sister on the West Coast who was praying for him, had been praying for years. And you may be saying to yourself as you go through this message, you know, I can't bring my neighbor to Jesus because my coworker, my friend, my brother-in-law has no interest in God at all. Well, this is where prayer comes in. God draws people to himself in response to prayer. Pray for your neighbors who have no interest and then pray some more. A few years ago, I encouraged uh, you to engage in something called one one one, where you pray for one person for one minute at 1 p.m. Every day at 1 p.m., you pray for one person uh, in your contact circle who does not yet have a personal relationship with God. And in that one minute, you pray that God would draw this person to himself. You pray that God would open a door for you or someone else to introduce this person to Jesus. And you pray that you would take the opportunities. Take the opportunities to share your story with Jesus as clearly as possible. Now, when I brought up this one, one, one last time, uh, someone came up to me uh, after the message and said, uh, well, can I pray for two people at two (laughs) o'clock? And uh, of course, I said, no, you can't. Now, sit down and don't be a rebel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, You can pray for a bunch of people if you want, but at least pray for one person for one minute at 1 p.m. History records that there were scores of beggars in the temple, and Peter and John started with one. 
You probably have scores of neighbors in your life who are far from God. Don't be overwhelmed. Start with one. But guess what? There are people here at Black Rock who want to join you in praying for your neighbor. Uh, as you know, last week we began our 24-7 prayer, uh, where we have over 200 people signed up to pray around the clock, uh, seven days a week for the 22 days until our in-gathering. And one of the things that we want to pray about are your neighbors. Uh, would you please take out the bulletin? You've, you should have the bulletin there. Uh, could you just take that out? And uh, could you just uh, find this little uh, opportunity to fill out this, uh, this sheet here? And maybe together, could we all just tear this together? Just tear it. Would you do that for me? Um, I invite you to write your name on this uh, slip of paper. Uh, write the name of your neighbor on this slip of paper. And maybe you just want to put the, your neighbor's uh, uh, last initial. That's fine. Uh, but if you want to write some more details about this person, that'd be great. Uh, there's plenty of room. And ushers will be at the exits to receive these slips. And I guarantee that as you turn in this slip, your neighbor will be prayed over numerous times, over 24 hours, over the next 14 days. And the reason we want to pray for your neighbor in these days before our end gathering is because your neighbor is what the Lighthouse Project is all about. At our kickoff, I did ask you if you had a neighbor you wanted to come to Christ by bringing to church. And just about a thousand of us raised our hands. And this is why we need to make more room here, because as I pray for my neighbor, as you pray for your neighbor, as we all pray for our neighbors, it will happen. Eventually, we will be bringing thousands of our neighbors to Jesus. And just imagine, bring that neighbor, that, that name that you're going to write down, bring that person's face to your mind right now. Imagine how this person is going to leap for joy like this man in the temple. Imagine how you will leap for joy for a hundred reasons, including the knowledge that you are fulfilling God's purpose for you in this world. And when you celebrate here on earth for that soul, there will be even greater celebration in heaven where the story our story of faithfulness will bring gladness and glory to God. A story that begins <clears throat> once upon a time. There was this church who brought their neighbors to Jesus. Would you please stand now? Jesus, would you fill us again with your spirit? Not for the purpose that we could just enjoy your presence, but that we would fulfill the very purpose that you are filling your, you're bringing your spirit into our lives, that we could be witnesses and bring our neighbors to Jesus. Amen.